0: Many of you may have heard about the Gospel of Thomas. I think it was discovered in some papyrus documents, hidden in a jar, the Sinai Desert, in 1945. And there's some very deep things in there. And Thomas was supposedly one of the disciples of Jesus. I do love some of the sayings, and one of them is, If you bring forth that which is within you, then that which is within you will save you. And if you do not bring forth that which is within you, then that which is within you will destroy you. I wasn't planning to talk about it. I have to go through all the qualities, and then the elements, and the satipatthana, but this sentence, I think it's a very important statement, because if we examine our experience, we can see that when we're holding on to something, clinging to something, and sometimes this is an unconscious act, we, we're not even aware that we're doing it. And the way that we find out that we're doing it is because when we're meditating, we start to some kind of knots within us, some kind of hardness, a stiffness, a stoniness, an impenetrable area, usually in the body. The body speaks. And our job is to listen. The mind has been talking madly forever, for, for decades or for as long as we're alive. And we're always listening to the mind the deluded mind, the ignorant mind, the mind that is weighted down with conditioning. If we could listen to the pure mind, then that would be our salvation, so to speak. I have to be careful how we use these words. No one can save us. This is a DIY work. So we have to do it ourselves. And I think that is what the early Gnostics, and certainly in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus encourages people to do the work themselves. That's why it's a lovely synergy with the Buddhist (coughs) teachings, unlike some of the more interpreted texts. And these came straight out of the jar in the desert. Somehow uncorrupted or untampered with by institutional church, clergy, or anyone else. So what we're trying so much to do is to find peace, to find happiness. But then we're walking on, on a road, we're, we're walking in a way that it's like burning. We're burning, or we're we're walking on thorns, or we feel as if we're being stabbed, pierced, hit, thrashed, numbed by life. And as we get older, our whole posture can begin to seize up, bend, creak, not from old age, but from the habit of coping with the dukkha of what life brings. So this statement about bringing forth that which is within us, we have to bring forth all the pain that we've held, all the attacks, impacts, insults, insinuations. And then somehow the self, it's like an old ship that we built, put it together and we can't even sail it, because it's covered with barnacles. So, if you want your ship to sail, I'm an old sailor, I sailed across the Atlantic once, not in robes. <laughs> I was not a man. I was 22. That was a wonderful experience. And it brought forth that trip, brought forth that within me which we need to bring forth really strongly, powerfully, to a point where I couldn't ignore it. That's what happens when you do something that's a little dangerous. You press the boundaries, you push the borders, of what you think is possible. And you go out into the wilderness. The wilderness of the ocean is a kind of wilderness. Or the wilderness of the mind. It's also a wilderness. So you go out, you sail out into it. And you've, you've cleaned off, you're cleaning off the barnacles on the hull of your ship. And that enables you to sail farther out more safely. And this is what the practice of the Satipatthana is, to find these, their different posts, or their buoys. You know how buoys are put out, beacons for boats, to point out where there are rocks, and when you're going through a narrow channel, you know, you red red right-returning kind of signals. You know where you're meant to go, then you will not crash your ship and fall apart. So here, there are these named hindrances and unwholesome activities of mind that we need to stay away from. And I might add, I'm not sure that I talked a lot about energy, effort yesterday. I don't think I formally mentioned the four right efforts, but I'll just do that now. I must not be remiss, because if you go out in your ship and you don't have your equipment with you, then you'll never get across. So it's good for us to check and see what kind of energy we're putting forth and in what way when we see the the conditioned way of responding to what's happening, what's coming up in the heart, then it's important for us to remember these instructions, to cultivate that which is wholesome, and not to cultivate that which is unwholesome. So if there's an unwholesome energy like fear or anger even irritation, agitation, is to press the pause button, if you can find it. Just press the pause button. And then that recording will stop. Yeah, we don't have to follow these drives. But we have to see them, understand them, and then we can navigate. Like in a boat. you have to navigate when you see the tides or the currents going against the direction that you're trying to get to, or that you're heading in, then you you tack. You tack in a different... You go slightly east and then back north, or or whatever. You don't go straight into those winds. But you do subvert them, or their power. You disarm them so they can't stop you on your journey. And that's how it is. When we see turbulence in the mind, how do we get through it? We have to navigate our raft, our vehicle, our mental energy towards that which is wholesome, that which supports the path of liberation, not the path of ignorance. Not further habit that weakens us, that prevents us, that dulls us, that blinds us, that basically topples us, or or forbids us, we actually can convince us, no, no, don't go there. This is delusion. Delusion based on aversion. And there's a certain greed in there, because you still want to go, but you're not paying attention where you're going. So it's like somebody who's about to fall over a cliff, but continues to walk on that insecure, gravelly bit of mountain. could be very treacherous. So even a small irritation could flare up into an explosive temper. Some of us may never get to that state, but some of us do. And then others do that to us. So instead of exploding, like partnering and copying that, we have to press the pause button. No, unwholesome, not to be followed. And that's how we cultivate the wholesome. So actually, these four right efforts are they're kind of companions. They're two pairs. Cultivate the wholesome, don't cultivate the unwholesome. So you can see when you cultivate the wholesome in the middle of something uh, unsavory and off the path, not the Buddha's instructions, but part of our habitual conditioning, then we know let's weaken that. And as we weaken that, we strengthen our virtue. We strengthen our ability to open the heart instead of slamming the door to that wellspring of purity, that wellspring of forgiveness, of metta, of compassion, of joy, true joy. Not the joys of the world that come from sense desire and sense gratification, which are very temporary, very weak and poverty stricken kinds of joy. This is a joy that that springs from a, a sacred place. There is no place. It's a sacred way. It's not a place. It's not like heaven. It's not like there's a, a part in the body where all this comes. It's not from the body. This is an energy. This morning I was giving an example in the interview group about not identifying with anything solid within us as a self. And we do that all the time. So all the time we have to be alert to that, that we're doing that, and that we keep adding to this self, just like barnacles on a boat. It's as if we're purposely weighing the boat down so it'll sink. And the more that we grow the self, the bigger it gets, and the harder it is to dismantle. So this self is always going to, lead us astray, lead us towards sense gratification and the danger of that is that actually is impermanent, unsatisfactory, and empty. Therefore, it's a danger, because it's not true. But if we're seekers of truth, we have to remember that and not listen to the self, but listen to the clear spring of dhamma that we can tap into. And it's the silence, in the silence we discover that. It's an intuitive knowledge, an intuitive waking up wisdom. Switch on the light. So we're, we're switching on a light by lighting the mind with wisdom. With this, a, an energy that is pure and gracious, gracious in the sense of it's like grace. It's a beautiful word. It's not a Christian word. There's, words have no belong to no one or nothing. They're just words. Anyway, we can't really describe the inner reality. It's intuitive. It's from the belly, not the physical belly, but from that, that unconditional love within us. And it's not in the body, so the inner and outer, even that, doesn't describe it. But it does arise, just like if you place a light bulb into a socket, and press a switch, then it'll light up, because an electrical current will come to it. Well, how you produce that in the body, this is a field of energy. So when you touch the Dhamma, you press that current of Dhamma, of Truth, and it springs up within you. And we can bring that forth by bringing forth a virtuous, Path developing it in front of us. And the second pair, oh I wanted to mention the other part of that metaphor is that if you take that light bulb off, then where is the electricity? Where is it? Well, yeah, we know it's in the wire, don't we? But this Dhamma energy is not in the body. So this body is like an electric bulb. It, it's to throw away. I just want, I want us all to contemplate that so we're not living in fear of, of dying and losing this this thing that we're... In. It's just like a, a recyclable... It's four elements. How much of this body is water? How? What percentage? It's a lot of water. Water element. Earth element, bones. There's so many hard places in the body, then there's the fire element, which is the temperature, the coolness, the heat that comes into the body and helps it function. And if the body temperature goes even a little bit below normal or too much above, then we, if we have a fever, we have not enough temperature or pressure, we could be dead so quickly. You can just, it's so fragile, because the balance of elements is very, very precarious. So the heat, coolness of the body, the fire element, and then there's the air element, so the air passing through the lungs, the breathing, in the interstices of tissues and bones and spaces activity of the mind, we can use that as a satipatthana, mental activities. And it's not a physical kind of element, but that's something that we can work with, because we experience so much mental activity, like so much busyness, that we need to get a handle on and direct, and this is how we use the energy. So the energy is Then, if whatever goodness we have not developed, whatever wholesomeness is there to develop, we produce it, we cultivate it, we fertilize it. Let me develop metta. Let me forgive those that I have been mistreated by, or that have been mean to me, that have cheated me, or that that I'm jealous of all these things. There's so much ill will in the heart. So whatever unwholesomeness arises, we should not only abandon it and prevent it from coming, but protect ourselves from it coming in. And that's where mindfulness and clear comprehension come in. The energy that we put in, the effort that we put in to be mindful, every step of the way. So if someone asks you, Say all day, all day, every moment, every posture is meditation. This is right way of using the energy is to constantly be bringing forth that which is in us, which is wholesome, and preventing the unwholesome from arising within us. Because whatever you is that if we don't, this is one of the right efforts, is like to be able to bring forth the things that are a detriment to us and know them for what they are, make them fear. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of dying, or who dies? Wow, there's a very beautiful, one of the koans, a disciple who became a master, Loshan, he went to Master Yang too, and he said, When arising and ceasing go on unceasingly, what then? Do you have experienced this flow that is the arising and ceasing of phenomena in the mind? Or just the breath? Everyone can, all of you can observe the breath. You can see the arising and ceasing. It's like a tide. If you sit by the beach, you go down to the Lake Ontario and sit on the beach, you see the tide arising, and then it withdraws, it vanishes. And then the master says, whose arising and ceasing is it? Who's arising and ceasing is it? And at that moment, Loshan was awake. Because he could see into the emptiness of this self. There's no one there. It's just like the sea. Just The sea isn't a person. There is no wave. There is no tide. It's just an emotion. It doesn't belong to anyone. And that water element in us is also arising and ceasing. The air element in us is also arising and vanishing the fire element, the heat, and the cold, and constantly changing, we sweat, and then we get cold, and then we get hot again, and we have a hot flash, and we survive, and then the winter comes, and the seasons keep changing, change. we have no control. If we could control it, there would be a self. But there isn't, there's no one there. So this is our Our biggest delusion, this is our biggest mountain to ascend. We have to ascend to a state that helps us to see that we're not the mountain and there is no mountain. The vanishing and ceasing, the movements, the changes, the changingness, that's not what we are. So we have to bring that delusion out because It obscures and filters our vision. It prevents us from understanding this. We have to understand it. So if we fail to understand this, it will kill us. We will die. That's the death we should fear, to die deluded, to lose this precious vehicle of enlightenment. This is a vehicle. It's a light bulb. It's tied in to an energy that can help bring awakening. But then we have to throw it away, like an old coat. And we do it gently, we don't just toss it away. In some cultures, the body is just thrown to the vultures. Imagine. (laughs) Yeah. So then, if we're carrying so much detritus in us, we definitely don't want to add any more. That's why we need to really meditate all day long. You sit down, you get up, you walk, you open a door, put on your shoes, brush your teeth, look out the window, see a bird, look at a tree, read a book, make your bed, lie down, sleep, breathe in and out, fall asleep, wake up, you're mindful, aware, Awake, putting forth these four efforts. So we protect, that's how we seal the mind. You know, the guardians of the mind are these qualities of knowing what we have failed to do or what what has not been possible for us to do in the past to uphold that which is wholesome. And we see the danger because we understand how important it is to be on the path and not fall off, or keep our boat afloat in this treacherous sea of the world. So when we see the danger, we feel that time we failed to do it, we missed, So there's a kind of moral repercussion of that. And so we feel conscientious that we will never do that again, and we will try our best. And then if we fall down again, we get up. We start again. If we aren't meditating continuously, then we just navigate back on course. When the wind blows us off and somebody yells, and we get upset, we just pick ourselves up and get back on course and keep going. Hiri otava. It's a kind of moral uh, conscientiousness. And in every way, first we may feel it embarrassed, or ashamed, or as a remorse, or fear about what we've done. Because sometimes it's so foolish, we think, oh, so deluded. And then we know that's delusion, okay? Not going to be deluded about that again. We try to remember that. This is sati, is the memory of that. An appropriate attention for every step we take in life, every choice we make in life so that we can bring forth that wholesome energy that makes the ground fertile. When the heart's ground, the ground of our being, is fertile, then the truth will will grow. Our insights will mature. We don't have to do anything. We have to get out of the way, as a self. Because no one gets enlightened. No one. There isn't a one, a person, no person. It's emptying up. It's clearing up that misunderstanding of what we are, of who we are. Then the Nibbana element will reveal, be revealed to this energy that that is the composite and whatever our knowledge can comprehend. Wisdom faculty can comprehend that we realize nibbana, and that's the complete disappearance of the being. Then there's the movement of the mind becomes very even, very steady, very peaceful, because nothing in the world can cause disturbance anymore. There can be a, a state of fearlessness. Oh, to, to know that, isn't this worth working for, yeah? I think so. That's why I dress up like the Buddha. Because whatever we incline towards, that's where we're going to go. If we incline towards Nibbana, we will go in that direction. I know, when I was in the sailboat, we sailed out into this wilderness of the ocean. It was so frightening. But we had good equipment. And we made it. Back to Europe. We made it. Yeah. Four of us. It was such a such a thrilling thing to see land after so many weeks. Like, really? That's not moving. It was it was astonishing. It was Unbelievable. But it was there. And we got closer and closer, we were so overjoyed. But that's nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to what we we would experience if we could reach the other shore of this sea of, of ignorance that we're in. If we could get across it. Just if we could cross to that other shore and land there safely we would be fully free forever of any form of suffering. So this this energy that has been offered to us, whatever kind of body we have, old or young, weak or strong, agile or stiff, whatever kind of mind we've been given, fast or slow, intelligent, Wisest being and so compassionate. He was fully enlightened at the age of 36.